0: That if you are for us, Father, then nothing could ever stop us. When we celebrate that in this place this morning, our hearts reach out. We pray that your Holy Spirit is here. We welcome you here. We pray, we ask that you would fill our hearts, you would cleanse us, you would renew us. We thank you that you are for us. We sing these words to you.
1: Chains. And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Oh,
0: these words this morning. We will no longer allow fear to control what happens next. God, I pray for a boldness. I pray for a boldness in this church. That as we sing the power of your name, of the beauty of This morning, as we sing of your power, of your might, of your beauty, of your love that you continue to pour over us, I ask that our hearts would be made right with you. Father, we pray for revival in this church, in our nation, in our hearts. We acknowledge, Father, we need to come to the end of ourselves in order to truly chase after that. So we sing this prayer to you, this prayer seeking a revival out. We sing this to you this morning, right here, right now. We love you.
1: Impossible. There's no broken body you can raise, no so that you can't save all things are possible. revival pour it out pour it out every strong little crumble. it'll change it the ground we got a revival pour it out pour
0: Father we hold those close to our heart in a world that is changing in a world that is struggling our souls are chasing after things of this world God we thank you that you remain steadfast I pray that we would be a people, the church that would chase after you with everything that we've got. We love you. We do this in your son's beautiful and holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated.
2: Bibles let's go ahead and open them up Exodus uh, chapter 32 uh, if you're looking for Exodus in the back of your Bible you're not going to find it there because uh, it's in the front of your Bible and so uh, Exodus chapter 32 uh, we've been we've been walking uh, for a few weeks now with the Israelites as they walk with God from their slavery in Egypt uh, as they are, uh, currently in the wilderness as they are on their way back to uh, their promised land. And we, we do this really for uh, really a, a ton of reasons, but, but there are two that come to mind that I'd like to remind you of. Uh, we, we walk with them namely because it is important to know the chapters which are told in your story before you arrived. Uh, in fact, every one of us has entered into a story that was being written long before Uh, our appearance and and so we are part of this collective that's being told and it's a it's a story of of epic proportions as God writes in it and so so we come in these weeks and and we look at the and we look at the exodus because it's important for us to see God's movement in the lives of his children Uh, and that becomes important to us because we can see how God moves in our own lives and and then secondly, I think, I believe these chapters in Exodus are vitally important to us because God reveals His great care for His people. Uh, make, make no mistake about it, uh, when we read the Bible, God declares uh, people as His, and then there are others who are not. And in these weeks, we have seen uh, the care of, of an attentive father who cares for his children and displays his glory over those who seek refuge in Him. And then, uh, really, we get to see what God does when those who are against Him wish to go toe-to-toe with Him. And, and as we are included into this family through Jesus, we get to celebrate greater promises uh, and because uh, what God has secured in us in Jesus uh, brings um, a, a world of a better covenant and a greater covenant. And so, so in the Exodus, God teaches us how we are to relate to him, but then secondly, uh, as you keep reading, you, you find that God is teaching us really how to relate to one another and and I find that to be uh, perhaps this week uh, maybe one of the most important things that we deal with is how do we work together and live together in society and In fact, much of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy is given to us as a gift, right? And I say that because uh, much of the time, if you've ever read Leviticus or you've ever spent much time in Deuteronomy, it does not feel like a gift, Uh, but it very much is uh, because God gives this to teach a people who knew nothing but slavery how society is supposed to function as well as uh, the standards of holiness uh, that God requires for us to have a right relationship with Him. And so so we've been walking with the Israelites as God has promised His deliverance. And, and we've said this every single week. He remains truthful to His Word in all circumstances, in all situations. And so, now granted, those scenes that we're talking about have not necessarily played out according to the expectations of the Israelites. and uh, And we get to see... Uh, their belly aching and and at times their tantrums, but but nonetheless, God has always been faithful to them, and and so so we move from God hearing their cries to displaying His glory in Egypt over Pharaoh as as God brings plagues and as God brings the Passover, and and we watch God lead the Israelites out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud by day and and a pillar of fire. By night, and, and we watched uh, as He led them to the Red Sea and, and and God reveals his power again by making what seems to be an impassable sea very passable uh, for the Israelites. In fact, all Moses had to do was direct the, the the waters to part, and so they they walked through and then they got to see the power of God as He collapses the sea on the Egyptians, their enemies and and last week we saw God promise. To provide a daily provision, a daily provision. It's like, hey, I will give you your daily bread. And we watched him bring this to him and remind his people how he desires a daily relationship with us. And and now, as, as long as we've been walking uh, with the Israelites these weeks, we they've regularly brought the same argument to the table any time they find themselves in a tough spot. Okay. Now I'm sure if you've read Exodus, uh, that you've learned from that, and you've never belly ached against a just and a holy and a faithful God, right? I'm sure you've never. But in case you haven't, other people do. Okay. That's a thing that exists in other people's lives, and uh, and so so as long as we've been walking, they they've brought this same argument to the table. Anytime life gets difficult, they will consistently attempt. To escape the hardship they are experiencing, with the fantasies of life in Egypt, uh, which, by the way, they were miserable in. Okay, they will consistently say life in Egypt was easier and better for us, even though when they were in Egypt, they are crying out to God for deliverance, which He is faithful to provide a deliverance from and or a rescue from and so so they will accuse moses and god of tricking them and leading them on a death march and 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 as a result what happens is egypt moved from their nightmares and into their daydreams that's what they did the land that was a nightmare now becomes a daydream to them and in this daydream they could they could be left alone uh, to their predictable labor, none of this was uh, none of this unpredictable wandering in a wilderness they could They could drink waters from the Nile, none of this bitter swill that uh, of an occasional oasis uh, they, they, they there they could sit around a buffet of of meat and bread, feasting to their heart's content, none of this dependence on god 's provision uh, for enough each day and or at least. Uh, that 's what the daydream was that's that 's the argument they continue to bring to god and even though we, we know those were not their conditions and so 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 we talked a bit last week about how subtle sin can be that that, that we how we usually make idols out of good things, uh, whether it be uh, meat and bread and uh, as Tim Keller says, uh, the greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and our deepest hopes. And so, so where we are this morning in Exodus 32 simply reveals what has always been lurking in the hearts of the Israelites. And I think if, if we are honest with ourselves, and let's be honest, let's let's, let's let's just make this decision. For the next 30 minutes, let's be honest with ourselves. Okay? Because what we're going to see revealed in the Israelites, I think when we're honest with ourselves, we can see these things lurking in us as well. And uh, we're, we're going to see really just the deep corruption of idolatry, uh, the, the affections that we cultivate for things that are evil, thinking that they're good, uh, the, the stark black versus white of the truth and the lie and, and the slavery that we ultimately sign up for thinking we'll find freedom. And, and then we'll look at, at the, toward the end, very quickly, a, a remedy to our idolatry in simple repentance. And now, now to get us from chapter 16, where we were last week to 32 this week, uh, let me catch you up, okay? So it's been almost 50 days of traveling in the wilderness, and the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai. Uh, it's a huge and important mountain uh, for the Israelites. And and the next morning, as they've arrived, Moses would go up on top of the mountain where God would establish His covenant with His people. And, and by this time, they again they've already seen the pillar of cloud and fire. They've seen the parting waters. They've seen bitter water made sweet they've seen manna and they've seen quail in this abundance every day they've seen water from a rock they they've had a, they've had a battle with with some bad guys uh and they've won uh and and even god's wise concern for the harmony of the social order uh when when jethro M- uh, moses's father-in-law comes in and says hey let me give you um, a suggestion on how to reorganize uh, how you make judgments over the people and Uh, And then not to mention uh, the, you know, deliverance from slavery, okay? So they've seen all of these things, and they've seen God provide and be near to them and care for them and uh, and love on them. And and so throughout the, the whole journey, God continually and intentionally blessed them, and he intervenes on behalf of their people. And amidst the Israelites wondering, they heard this constant refrain from God every single time. Every single time, God would say something along these lines. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God meant to emblazon this on their hearts and the truth on their minds. Uh, at, at the burning bush, you go back to chapter 3, God says, I promise I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt. When, when Pharaoh took away straws for brick... I am the Lord and I will bring you out under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And that's like Exodus 6. And then on the day they left Egypt, Exodus 13, God says, God says, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out. And so at Mount Sinai, amidst this, this majestic show of thunder, and lightning, and smoke, and fire, God spoke the words of of the the famous Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, and in it he says this, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and in chapter 20 it tells us, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And now if we're honest... And if we're pulling for God as we read Exodus, we're like, well, why would they want any other gods before him? I mean, he's done it all. Like, clearly, I see him moving. And yet, God in his infinite wisdom will look at them and say, listen, you need to know that you will have a temptation to place other gods before me. And I'm telling you, as we do life together, I will not share that throne. I won't do it so he says you shall have no other gods before me and and the truth of God's presence could not have been clearer. Moses comes down, he delivers the law, and then he prepares the elders for his quick departure. He's going to go back up the mountain. He's going to reascend and for the next installment of of God's word and and so he leaves them with instructions during his absence and he he essentially just says, "Hey guys, sit tight. Just wait. I'm going back up and then I'm coming down and then in, in chapter 24, as it ends, Moses enters into a cloud covering uh, of the mountain and uh, to meet with God for 40 days. Now, what happens after promising, uh, as the Israelites promised Moses, sure, we're going to wait, we're going to obey, the Israelites waited day after day and, and at the base of the mountain for Moses to return, and days turned into weeks, and they grew very impatient, and they began to doubt whether... He'd ever return. And so so their hope turned into disappointment, and their disappointment turned into cynicism, and and convinced Moses and God had abandoned them, they decide to take matters into their own hands. Okay? So that's where we arrive in chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. Okay? Aaron has always been a big player, right? Uh, Aaron is... Uh, Moses' brother, who every time Moses is, is against Pharaoh, Aaron is beside him. Okay? Uh, in fact, there are times when Aaron is the mouthpiece uh, from, of Moses' words, which is the mouthpiece of God's words. And so, so uh, the people gather themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! I'm assuming he is down at this moment. They say, Up! Uh, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I I love the way that, because Moses writes this, and he says, you know, they referred to me as this Moses. (laughs) This Moses. Their contempt uh, was palpable as they coerced Aaron into making an idol. Um, Something they could see, something they could feel, something that would embody their hope of redemption while God and Moses were absent, and to which Aaron obliged. Verse 2, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron, and, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it, into a grave with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, Okay, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And now, the, the sad part is that after so many miraculous and clear reminders, it, it seems they've, they've forgotten. Could they really have mistaken? A cow for their deliverer. And now, now maybe for some, uh, they meant for the cow to represent Yahweh, uh, their true deliverer, But they they'd already promised before that they wouldn't do that. They promised that they wouldn't graven any images of God. And and so so either way, this was not a mere forgetfulness, or it wasn't a mistake. They chose to believe a lie because the lie to them was more tangible than the faith required to wait for God. In fact, Psalm uh, 106 puts it this way. It says, They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And so so, so the exchange of a truth for a lie is the essence, guys, of, of idolatry. And idolatry, in turn, underlies really all sin. In fact, Paul has the golden calf in mind when when he pens the New Testament's definitive passage of idolatry. If you go to, to you don't have to go there, but if you read this week Romans chapter one, and he says he says it this way: he says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. And and so so understanding idolatry helps us understand a great deal about what goes wrong with people, uh, especially ourselves. In fact, Tim Keller uh, helps. By, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and I would encourage you to spend some time reading it. But but he says this: he says an idol is anything more important to you than God. It's anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That that whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and I will feel secure. That's what idolatry is. And so so Keller will go on to further explain that there are really two different kinds of idols, even though both of them work together. He will refer to what we call what he calls deep idols and then what he calls surface idols. Uh, now, surface idols are, are mostly familiar addictions like, like drugs and alcohol and sex and food and shopping and putting your Christmas stuff up before Thanksgiving and video games and gambling. Um, it's a really big deal in my life right now. And so... Um, Not the gambling, the Christmas before Thanksgiving thing. Um, But that's a separate lesson. Uh, But pray for some people I know who need deep prayer. Um, Now, now here's what we know. that, That surface idols are simply revealers of deep idols, such as our longing for acceptance and community and security. Things that God offers, but we feel tempted to believe He will not provide. So we search. And we go looking elsewhere to our own detriment. And, and so, so an idol always lives in the heart before it's made visible by the hands. Okay? An idol always lives in the heart before it's made visible by the hands. And, and I read it explained that, that what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So what we say is, no, 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 it's, this isn't a big idol. I need this one and so so, for the Israelites, the golden calf is a surface idol it's immediate and it's concrete and it's visible and and it appeared when uh when the deep idol of their hearts demanded fulfillment and so so the israelites only their their only access to God's presence had really come through moses and and so they panic when they don't believe Moses is coming back and so so and I think Christians too often. Uh, take for granted their access to God's presence uh, by the Holy Spirit made possible only by Jesus, uh, that that even as Christians, can we agree that there are times when uh, we doubt God's presence when we don't feel Him? When the circumstances of life create a situation where we don't know what God is doing, therefore, we feel a temptation to wander elsewhere. And, And so... So idolatry again, it's it's not just about bad behavior cuz that gets exposed very quickly. Uh but but really idolatry uh, is about things that you love. And because it, and if you love the wrong things for the wrong reasons, then your idolatry will lead you to the wrong places. And so so the Israelites will believe the life they want is back in Egypt and they will love Egypt in these moments more than they'll hold out the love for for the promised land, or really, specifically, their love for God. Really, what we're dealing with is, is will they will love the security they believe Egypt provides over the care that God is offering them. And this is, in essence, what, true, what, it's what sin does. It, it deceives. Because in this moment, the sin that's being whispered into their minds, into their ears, is, is the lie of this. The idol takes care of you. God doesn't. The idol gives you what you want. The idol gives you what you crave. It it relieves your pain. It it liberates you. So fight for your idol, serve it and defend it and to believe those lies is to declare your allegiance to the enemy. And I think this is this is the paradox of slavery for sin. This is this is the paradox of volunteering for idolatry, and really volunteering for slavery, because in one sense we've been captured, and then in another sense uh, we want to give ourselves to our captors. It's Again, it's voluntary slavery, and it doesn't begin like slavery, but make no mistake, idolatry leads to sin, and sin is always about bondage. Always. And so verses 5 and 6 tell us uh, that that they create this calf and they say, all Israel, this is you know, who we worship now. And so a party breaks out. And then in verses 7 through 10, uh, God exposes their idolatry to Moses. And he says this, and the Lord, verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And, and so, so exposing the foolishness of their idolatry with, with mocking imagery, uh, God says they are stiff-necked, and they have turned aside quickly out of the way that he's commanded. And, and, and both phrases are allusions to this cow that they worshipped. In fact, Pastor G.K. GK Bill, uh says that we become what we worship, and the Israelites who worshipped a cow had become rebellious cows running wild, needing to be regathered. And I think we should, we should quickly mention um, God's mocking of, of Aaron later in these verses, uh, because I think it's amusing. Uh, I think it's, it's funny, because Moses asked, uh, when Moses comes down, he looks at Aaron, and he's like, Aaron, what in the world, bro? What's, what's going on? And Aaron's like, um, I, I don't know. Like things just really got a, got away from me, uh, and so they gave me this. They gave me gold, and I threw it in the fire. And then like this calf comes out. It was magic, Moses. I'm telling you. I I just don't know. Even though verse four says that what that Aaron took a graving tool and that he made it, that he crafted it, right? And then and then this whole and I I, I would encourage you because we don't have the time to go through all the verses today. But but spend some time in in Exodus 32. Because it gets to the end, um, and as, Mo, as Aaron shifts the blame of the people being responsible for the gold collection and, and the calf for just jumping out of the fire, uh, chapter 32 ends with this, that the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. And then it says this, and this will be forever remembered in the history of mankind, the one that Aaron made. The one, you know, the one Aaron made. Didn't just pop out. And so it takes some time finish reading this week. But, but, but know that, that God's wrath in this moment was so hot that he had been willing to wipe out the Israelites and start over uh, with Moses. And, and now here's the thing. He could still fulfill his promise to Abraham to bless the earth through his offspring. Just do it through Moses' line instead. And, and when, when, when God told Moses the people had corrupted themselves, he uses the same word that we find back in Genesis chapter 6 where where mankind rebellion had reached such a height that God flooded everyone but Noah and, and his family. And so, so Moses seems to face what, what we would consider a dilemma. Uh, he knew that God's people deserved wrath for their idolatry and he knew that God would have been uh, not only perfectly just to wipe them out but also... He could do it and remain faithful to his word, therefore still being able to be God. Uh, and instead, Moses is patient in this moment with the people. And, and I believe firmly that this was evidence of God working in Moses' heart. Because Moses has mercy on them, and he goes to God on behalf of his people. That, that, that Moses reflects not only God's anger against sin, but also his mercy. And so Moses intercedes for the people, and he asks God to spare them for God's name's sake. And, and Moses neither minimizes the people's sin nor accuses God of being unjust in his jealous but yet holy anger. That God. And so what happens is God honors Moses' plea, and he relents. And I think the reason why we get this part of Exodus 32 is because this serves as a prefiguration of Jesus' intercession for us. 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, okay, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That He, He is the propitiation for our Sins and, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, of the whole world. And so, so I think there's a, there's, some, there's a key similarity between the intercession of Moses and Jesus in this, in, in, that, in that in both cases, God's glory and his holy character are upheld, while, while the sin of the people is exposed and condemned for the corruption and their rebellion for what it truly is. That these aren't just misgivings. These aren't just um, small issues of uh, these are mistakes that they make. These are are sins before a holy God. And then I I think a key difference between the intercession of Moses and Jesus is that, that while Moses would have been spared God's wrath as the Israelites were destroyed, Jesus takes on God's wrath upon himself. And we are, as we are preserved, uh, and that's what's meant by propitiation. That that the payment that our sin demands is imputed on Jesus Christ. That's great news. That's great news. So we we can start wrapping this up, Swan. Uh, and so 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 the remedy. This is this is the question, right? So we are idolatrous people. I know. You're like, I hope to come here today and hear something that makes me feel good. Well, here it is. You are an idolatrous person. Okay? And in your idolatry, it reveals your lack of faith in what God has promised to do in you and around you and through you. Okay? So the solution, ultimately, is Jesus. So how do we break free from idolatry and how do we enter into the life that Jesus has made possible? And it's a word that we typically don't want to use in our day of age. Repent. Repent. Now, now, what we tend to think when we hear that word repent is we think of it as aggressive. And guess what? It is. It's aggressive. I don't know if you've ever heard it shouted at you, um, but it's incredibly important that you would understand that what you need when you sin the most is repentance. And there's a couple of steps. And I just want to give them to you quickly. That that when repentance is involved, um, here here are some stages. That the first step, the first stage, is conviction. That that when you are drawn to repentance, you first have to be convicted. You have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, who's at work in you through God's Word, revealing that you are guilty of sin. And I think this is this is more than simply feeling sorry and saying oh, "my bad." That that this is this is more looking repentant. Uh, this is more than looking repentant as a way of hiding our sin from others. That conviction leads to a genuine remorse. For our actions. Our sin is always ultimately before God's eyes, and that's where conviction must start. That that God must be at the center of our attention, and we should be concerned first and foremost about um, what our sin looks like in His eyes. Then secondly, you go from conviction to confession. And, and confession is... is that you must agree with God about your sin and you need to name it as he names it, specifically. That, that we don't sin generally, we, we sin in specifics. And so and I think it's helpful and it's important that as we confess our sins, we would confess them specifically. Because true confession consists in humbly telling the whole truth about our sin. I was wrong, and God, you are right. And then, thirdly, that leads us into repentance. And, and, and now, I've been telling you, overall, this is what repentance looks like, but there is an act, there is an actual act of repentance, and that's the turning away of whatever captivated your heart that belonged to God. That because idolatry is essentially about what you love, repentance requires changing whom you love. That that repentance turns your whole heart, your whole person to God in love, in trust, and obedience instead of to idols. And I think I think deep idols must be pushed out by deeper worship. Then number four, you have restitution. Now, I gotta be careful here because God's grace is free. You you can't pay for God's forgiveness. You can't say, hey, I'm going to save up all my good days, and then hopefully at the end at some point, that'll be enough. It doesn't work that way. God's grace is always free. It's the free gift of God that he gives us, Jesus. Okay, So important you get that. But there are times that sin takes its toll on others. And so restitution is about giving back what you've stolen from others because of your sin. You can see this played out. in in Luke 19 uh, with a guy named uh, Zacchaeus, okay? Uh, Zacchaeus comes to Jesus and he says, okay, I'm going to make it right with the people that I've wronged. I'm going to give them their portions back. And I think genuine repentance is eager to make things right with the people we've sinned against. And then then we get to, to number five, Reconciliation. That, that sin separates, right? It, it puts hostility between God and people, and it drives wedges in human relationships. And, and God God's forgiveness of sin makes peace and reconciliation possible, first with Him and then with others. And, and I think genuine repentance commits to the hard work of rebuilding relationships that are broken by sin. And I think reconciliation, I think it, it takes time, uh, especially when trust has been shattered and especially when wounds are deep because sometimes just coming in saying, I'm so sorry, it, it's it's not quick enough. And then I think lastly, and I think this is so important, number six, rejoicing. I think when we repent, there has to be Rejoicing, because as, as Keller says, repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair. Mark Wilkerson says says repentance is the step by step walking out of our redemption, the bit by bit turning of our hearts from the corruption of idolatry to the sweetened and rest and treasuring of God above all other things. So let me let me give you some homework this week. A read the entirety of of Exodus 32. It's incredible. And then also spend some time this week in Psalm 51. Uh, Psalm 51 comes at the heels of uh, David being exposed uh, for his sin Uh, that started with adultery with Bathsheba but ends in the murdering of Uriah. And out of it we get to see what an unrepentant heart sounds like. Sounds like. Now, David will live the remainder of his days in the consequences of those actions. However, he gets to live the remaining of his days in union with the Father. He gets to walk with God. And so here's here's where I'd like us to, to end. I would encourage you to spend some time either if you're chicken just these next few minutes. But if you want to be brave and you want to be bold and you want to go to your father, then spend some time these next couple days, next couple weeks asking him to reveal the idolatry of our own hearts. And then my prayer is that you wouldn't just identify that's an idol, that's an idol, but that you would turn away from it, that you would destroy it. There's this action in, as we get into First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, where where the people would would create these these temples to uh, idols, and it says that sometimes they would come in and they would knock them down, but they wouldn't destroy them. They just knock them down, and eventually what they would do is they'd come back to it and they'd bring that idol back up, and they'd continue to worship that idol. And what what I hope you would understand in this scene in Exodus 32 is that their idol worship was completely unnecessary. Because their God had remained truthful. He had remained faithful. Even when Moses is on the mountain, they're still getting fed. Even when Moses is on the mountain, they still see the evidence of God. They can see Him up there. So this wasn't about God has abandoned me, because they see. They see Him moving in in them and around them. This is about something deeper, about their hearts. Will their hearts be God's, or will their hearts be theirs? And I could make the case that all idol worship is really just about the worship of self. Because we go to idols thinking they will bring us the fulfillment we really want. And in return, what happens is we want to become the God. So your homework is explore your heart. Take some time today. In fact, from three to about six, cowboys won't be winning anyways. so just Ask God to reveal those things. And then walk with Him, with Jesus, through forgiveness. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. As we wrap up, let me make a couple things available. If you need prayer today, we want to we pray with you. Uh, we'll have some people over here on this side. They would love to pray with you. We believe in community. And we grow closer in community as we grow closer. of go- as we go to God for each other and with each other. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, there's no way to have a right relationship with God except through Him. We would love to, to do what, what Jesus invites us to do and just follow Him for a little bit and ask some questions. We would love to help you meet Jesus today. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank you that you care for us so deeply. Father, I confess that there are idols in our lives that we we know about. And we know what they are, and we know that they can't deliver, but yet we still find ourselves at the altar of them. So, Father, I pray you would break that hold by showing us just your incredible care. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.